Who would fardels bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will, and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of? You are listening to The Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for the melancholy. You do not seek to kill me, Dumbledore, above such brutality, are you? We both know that there are other ways of destroying a man, Tom. Merely taking your life would not satisfy me, I admit. There is nothing worse than death, Dumbledore. You are quite wrong. Indeed, your failure to understand that there are things much worse than death has always been your greatest weakness. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And we are back. Many apologies for the utterly unscheduled, almost month-long hiatus. We bit off more than we could chew, and life gets in the way, and brains get in the way. There were a lot of weddings. Yeah, we went to a thousand weddings. I feel guilty because I posted kind of a brag like, oh, we got an episode out, and also went to a wedding, and then... The podcast just died for three weeks. Yeah. Also, I got very fucking sad for a super long time. So now we're like powering through that. So, you know, our our Dementors exist. But we're back. Did we eat any chocolate? I don't. This is going to be maybe the most controversial thing I say on this podcast. I don't super like chocolate. I thought you were going to say something really controversial there. I was like emotionally bracing myself. Uh, I mean, that is pretty controversial. <laughs> most people really like chocolate. But no, I did not eat any chocolate because I am not in the Kathy cartoon. <laughs> and also because I am not really a chocolate person. I was like, what is she going to say? But it was just about chocolate. Yeah, but, you know, people disagree. I don't like mayonnaise. That's not that controversial. A lot of people hate mayonnaise. That's true. Mayonnaise is sort of gross in concept and in execution. All right. Mayonnaise is my bog art, basically. The bog art would just become a A jar jar of of mayonnaise. Yeah, just on a sandwich. Mostly on a sandwich that I didn't order it on. That's my bog art. (laughs) That actually probably... That's... It's highly likely to be my boggart, actually. I had a nightmare the other day that I got mayonnaise on a sandwich and I didn't, I ordered it without. Because the problem is you really like sandwiches. And so it, was, it ruins a sandwich, which you really wanted. Yeah, I know. That I sucks. hate mayonnaise. I'm though, sorry. Well, anyway. I don't hate chocolate. It's just like if I was going to choose something when I was feeling downcast to eat to feel better, it would always be savory over sweet. Fair I'm enough. I'm a salty gal. <laughs> you are salty. <laughs> anyway, hi, we're back. We are reading this week. It's crazy that we stopped when we did because we're like at the climax of this book. We are reading the chapters called Beyond the Veil and The Only One He Ever Feared. Most from, badass chapter title in Harry yeah, Potter, fuck I think. Yeah. From, um, in case you forgot, in our long absence, we are still reading Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. We've already cursed, so you know about that. There are also going to be significant spoilers in this episode. For this and all Harry Potter content, basically. The oh, yeah. We're going to spoil, like, Cursed Child, which we haven't even seen. So... So brace yourselves. And you will hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are Brain Drain. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> um, evil Snowflakes, MacGuffins, Being Fashionably Late, and Literal Death. So... 
maybe we're a little rusty here, but Alex, what happened this week? Well, we're a little rusty, so let's just breeze through this in like one minute. <laughs> okay. Also by this week, I mean the three weeks ago when we actually read these chapters and thought we were going to make a new episode. In this week's chapters, Harry and Dumbledore's army find themselves surrounded by the Death Eaters in the bowels of the Department of Mysteries. In row, is it row 97? I think it's row 97. It turns out the drawling voice was but but buh motherfucking Lucius Malfoy. He says, hand that prophecy over to me. Harry's thinking, god damn it, I led my men straight into a massacre. <laughs> Harry's inwardly panicking, outwardly cool. He's thinking, what do I do? What do I do? I should stall. Most of their strategies revolve around just stalling and getting bad guys to monologue. But, you know, uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Harry tries to get Lucius to tell him what this whole prophecy deal is about. Lucius is like, oh, you mean you don't know? It has to do with why you have that scar. Harry is instantly intrigued. We also meet ba-ba-ba motherfucking Bellatrix Lestrange for the first time, not in a flashback. She's really mean. Harry is able to, well, Lucius is droning on about, I don't know, being evil. Um, Harry manages to convey to the others that they should start knocking shelves over because I think at some point some prophecies get knocked over and, like, ghost seers come out of the prophecies and start saying the prophecy. So Harry's like, this will make a very convenient distraction. So Dumbledore's army uses the reductor curse to knock over some shelves. There's glass and wood flying everywhere. It's very dangerous. A lot of running around commences. Dumbledore's army suffers some injuries. Ginny breaks her ankle. Hermione gets hit by like purple fire, which kind of knocks her out. Is it purple? I think it's purple. It, it sort of like incapacitates her. Ron gets really giggly somehow. Uh, this happens to him offstage. Ron suddenly finds everything funny and then gets attacked by brains. It's like they got him really, really hot. <laughs> he ran into the uh, Ministry of Magic marijuana dispensary. It's like cannabis totalis. <laughs> So, yeah, Ron is, like, just lolzing at everything and looking at his hands a lot. And one of the brain cases gets knocked over and a brain starts attacking him. Oh, because he summons the brain to him because he thinks it'd be super weird to touch, which he's probably right. Uh, but it turns out the brains are spaghetti. <laughs> which was a joke I already used, but I still find very funny. But then they start having, like, tentacles. So they are spaghetti-like. I don't... Is spaghetti like tentacles? Well... Noodle, if you think of tentacles as noodles, kind of. Sure. I don't know. So Ron gets attacked by flying spaghetti monsters. <laughs> Luna gets, I think, just concussed. She gets, like, blasted into the air and hits, like, a desk. Neville body count. Uh, Neville gets his nose broken and is... Just sounds like he has a cold for the rest of the chapter. It's really weird in the Jim Dale narration because it's, like, super serious. And then it's like, Harry, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Jim Dale. Eventually, Harry finds himself alone and surrounded in the room with the Death Arch. Lucia says, all right, your race is run, Potter. Give me the prophecy. Neville shows up and starts stunning people, but he is quickly subdued by uh, one of these fucking Death Eaters. They're all kind of interchangeable to me. We just know that they're D-bags. Uh, Death Bags. 
<laughs> as it were. Neville gets tortured by Bellatrix Lestrange, so we know she's bad, if you had any doubts. First taunted about how she tortured his parents basically to death, and then she tortures him, like, for good measure. Uh, I think she says, I wonder how long it'll take to get you, like, where I got your parents, basically. Uh, it's pretty fucking bad. So, things are pretty fucking dark, but then the Order of the Phoenix shows up and starts blasting shit with their wands in the scuffle... McNair grabs... McNair, the guy that executed Buckbeak, he's around. He's a Death Eater. Um, duh. Yeah, duh. <laughs> Has someone been, like, mildly eerie in a past book? Here they are. Pro- probably a Death Eater, Definitely yeah. Definitely a bad guy. <laughs> the guy whose job was to execute people's pets was... Uh, shockingly. Shockingly a Not Death a great eater. person. Yeah. <laughs> McNair is, like, choking out Harry to get the prophecy, and then Neville shoves a wand in his eye. Oh my god, I forgot about that. He's, like, bleeding from the head. But then this other fucking Death Eater, Dolohov, like, curses Neville by making him tap dance. So Neville's fucking legs are going everywhere. There's various wizard duels. It's basically... There's a, there's a lot happening. My notes just say keep SWAT. So that's a that's a typo. I don't know what that means. <laughs> what does that what does that mean? This know, is a line that says keep SWAT. Uh <laughs> anyway, um uh, Harry Oh, I was trying to write keep away. <laughs> Harry hey. and Neville are playing keep away with the prophecy which Lucius is trying to gets Neville like puts it in his pocket but then he like tips over because he's just dancing a lot he's gotta dance gotta dance oh that's a really good musical Mm -hmm. reference he's gotta dance he falls over his pocket gets ripped and the prophecy falls out smashes but nobody can hear it because everyone's like shouting pseudo latin and like screaming a bunch so the fucking prophecy's gone that's a big deal harry's like oh shit the prophecy's been destroyed but then neville says dumbledore it's dumbledore harry's like oh fuck yes motherfucking dumbledore's here we're saved uh, but then Sirius gets hit by a curse from Bellatrix Lestrange, who he's dealing with, and falls backward into the Death Arch. So, another one bites the dust. Oof. Lupin is also on hand. He holds Harry's back. Harry's first instinct, of course, is to run after Sirius into the Death Arch. So, uh, good thing Lupin was there. Otherwise, this would be the last book. <laughs> <laughs> Harry's, like, waiting for Sirius to come back from behind the arch, but of course he doesn't uh, because he'd gone to the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. At some point, Harry escapes Lupin's grip and pursues Bellatrix. He's chasing after Bellatrix through the halls of the Department of Mysteries. At one point, he like asks a door for directions and it like gives it to him. She gets into a fucking elevator and just like takes it. I don't know, that seems like And then he gets into another elevator, or lift, rather. Sorry, we're in England, so lift. And it just seems like a weirdly funny break in the action. Like, I'm imagining it's this whole dramatic scene. They're chasing after each other and then just elevator music for like... (laughs) For like 90 seconds or however long it takes to get from like the eighth floor below up into 
Maybe not 90 seconds. I don't think an elevator takes 90 seconds. Well, ours does. <laughs> it's the slowest elevator on God's green earth. My, my elevator at work is uh, pretty slow as well. It doesn't play music, though. Neither does ours. But I imagine the Ministry of Magic plays elevator music. We that have been seem... talking about elevators for 90 seconds. That's so... true. Well, Congratulations to you guys for listening through that. In that time, Bellatrix and Harry both make it to the atrium. Also in this time, while Harry is chasing after Bellatrix, one of the crazy brain aquariums tips over and covers him with, like, crazy green brain potions. So Harry is also just covered in gunk. He looks like he's been on, like, a fucking 90s Nickelodeon show. <laughs> slimed. Yeah, he get, so Harry gets slimed, uh, so he's dripping with slime, sitting in an elevator, listening to elevator music. Uh, imagine that. Anyway, Harry and Bellatrix, they're in the atrium. They're, Harry attempts to use the Cruciatus curse on Bellatrix. It, like, sort of hurts her, but she says, you've never tried to use an unforgivable curse, have you, boy? You've got to mean it. Your righteous anger won't hurt me for long. You have to, like, really want me to suffer. So, they trade insults. Bellatrix's insult game, pretty substandard. It mostly revolves around talking and baby talk. Bellatrix is like, give me the prophecy, give me the prophecy. Harry says, aha, it's broken. Bellatrix gets real sad and upset when she realizes that Harry is telling the truth. She says, Master, forgive me. Harry says, Your master can't hear you now. And then, motherfucking Lord Voldemort shows up. He says, I can hear you. I'm right in the middle of the Ministry of Magic, bitch. It's the finale. It's the boss fight. Yeah, it's the boss fight. So Lobo's there. Harry's like, oh shit, I hope the power of love will save me again. Uh, no, it we'll save that. It super does. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Harry's like, how do I get out of this one? <laughs> Voldemort basically says, ah, a year's planning ruined again by meddlesome Harry Potter, but I'm going to Avada Kedavra you, and this time it's going to work for sure. So Voldemort casts the Avada Kedavra curse, but before Harry can even say Expelliarmus, a statue jumps in the way and, like, takes the blow. Voldemort realizes that Dumbledore is on the scene. Dumbledore has, like, ordered the Statue of Magical Brethren to do something useful for a change, and, well, I mean, it's a statue, so I don't know. He enchanted the statue to take the curse for Harry, Dumbledore and Lovo have an epic battle. Dumbledore trolls him by calling him Tom a lot. Voldemort says, why aren't you trying to use the killing curse against me? Dumbledore says, there are other ways to destroy a man, Tom. I want something worse for you than death, basically. So, whoa, don't fuck with Dumbledore. So they debate death. At some point, oh, I accidentally wrote in my note, Dumbledore possesses Harry, but that's not true. The, I have bad notes this this week. Uh, at some point, Voldemort possesses Harry. It feels like a snake is, like, choking him. Because, like, Voldemort's into the whole, like, snake aesthetic. Voldemort, through Harry, says to Dumbledore, If death's not so bad, kill the boy. Dumbledore, of course, doesn't. Harry is thinking, please kill me, because it, like, it's just agony being possessed by Voldemort. And then he thinks... At least that way, I'll see Sirius again. And as emotions flood his heart, the snake's coils loosen, and he feels Voldemort leaving his body. All of a sudden, all the Ministry wizards are appearing in the fireplaces. Some fucking guy, Williamson, is like, Oh shit, it's Lord Voldemort! Voldemort grabs Bellatrix Lestrange and vanishes. Fudge 
is also there. He sees Voldemort and he's like, oh, god fucking damn it. Was totally wrong about everything. Dumbledore then starts giving orders to Fudge. He says, I'm going to go back to my old job. You will remove Umbridge from Hogwarts and stop looking for Hagrid. And God, I like completely forgot about Umbridge. I know. There's so much <laughs> happening. And he says, I'll give you half an hour of my time to explain everything that just happened. Uh, which doesn't seem like an adequate amount of time, but, you know. Well, I mean, we have just used almost a half an hour of our dear listeners' time explaining like 50 pages. Dumbledore so. is a busy man. Uh, he makes a port key like it's fucking nothing and hands it to Harry, who then takes it back to Dumbledore's office. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. Whew. So that was a wild ride. <laughs> um, what's your overall impression of these chapters and this like very important set piece? You know, it felt a little messy to me. It was a little hard to follow while I was listening along on the audiobooks. I mean, I kind of had to go back and reread it to figure out basically who was where and cast what curse. And maybe she's doing that on purpose because the Department of Mysteries is sort of a confusing place with a lot of doors and offices and things. But uh, it felt a little messy, to be honest. Stunning spells shot across the room. Harry smashed his way through the door ahead, flung Ron unceremoniously from him, and ducked back to help Neville in with Hermione. They were all over the threshold just in time to slam the door against Bellatrix. Coloportus! shouted Harry, and he heard three bodies slam into the door on the other side. It doesn't matter, said a man's voice. There are other ways in. We've got them. They're here. Harry spun around. They were back in the brain room, and, sure enough, there were doors all around the walls. He could hear footsteps in the hall behind them as more Death Eaters came running to join the first. Luna, Neville, help me! The three of them tore around the room, sealing the doors as they went. Harry crashed into a table and rolled over the top of it in his haste to reach the next door. Coloportus! There were footsteps running along behind the doors, Every now and then another heavy body would launch itself against one, so it creaked and shuddered. Luna and Neville were bewitching the doors along the opposite wall. Then, as Harry reached the very top of the room, he heard Luna cry, Gullo! Ah! He turned in time to see her flying through the air. Five Death Eaters were surging into the room through the door she had not reached in time. Luna hit her desk, slid over its surface and onto the floor on the other side where she lay sprawled, as still as Hermione. Yeah, I mean, I guess part of that is probably the actual experience of being in this debacle would be really disorienting and confusing. And I mean, my most credit I will give her is she's kind of trying to like mirror that experience in the prose. But I also don't think that J.K. Rowling thinks a lot about prose. Oh, I'm I'm sure she's an author. She thinks about it like... No, I know, but in, in terms of propulsion yeah. of plot yeah. and not necessarily in terms of incredibly elegant right. sentence writing. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a pretty fair and pretty standard criticism of J.K. Rowling. She's not an extraordinary writer. Okay. She's an extraordinary storyteller. And like, wow, those birds are so fucking loud again. You guys, summer recording means you're just going to hear bird sounds. And like air conditionings randomly coming on. And off. Yeah, that's true. And probably ice cream trucks at some point. 
Do-do. Exactly. No, it got a new weird song. Okay. Anyway. You'll hear it, possibly. That's true. And then we'll stop recording to go buy ice cream. Probably. (laughs) Cherry-dipped soft serve. Yep. Or more importantly, soft serve with sprinkles. If you don't like sprinkles, you're a monster. Hot take. Hot take. But then again, I don't like chocolate. So anyway, these scenes have this kind of like, I, I feel like I reference noises off a lot and extremely few people besides like hardcore theater nerds like know what that is. It's this play that was also a movie that's British about, it's like a play within a play and they're doing this incredibly complicated like farce where people are like going in and out of doors and they keep fucking it up because there's all kinds of drama going on backstage. So like play, it's actually hysterical. I'm explaining too much of this. But basically <laughs> it's this incredibly hilarious farce within a farce where people are constantly just coming on and off stage in totally inexplicable ways and for totally inexplicable reasons. And that is what these chapters kind of feel like to me. There's just like a very extraordinary number of doors yeah, opening there's a, there's and closing a, there's constantly. There's a farcical quality to uh, these chapters. And uh, a truly farcical number of doors. Instead of hilarious misunderstandings, the it's stakes death. are death. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like death. <laughs> Serious walks through the ultimate door. <laughs> Holy shit, yes. Yeah, that's the door. He's not coming back out of that door. Um, uh, ooh, what a funny mistake. <laughs> It is not an elegantly written fight scene. It's no like John le Carre situation who writes awesome violence, you guys. Like super like stylized and lovely scenes of very intense violence. Anyway, but it's also just very populous. It is more confusing than any of the endings of the other books. But it's also just there's like 40 fucking people in these scenes. Yeah. Which is just confusing and hard to follow. So I don't super fault her. I think... As with basically all of the books after book three, it could use an editor. But she sort of became like above editing. So yeah, somebody could have like redlined this a little bit. (laughs) Uh, It's exciting though. It's super exciting. It's like heart pounding. The central point of this whole battle is this prophecy, which is a straight up MacGuffin. It feels really strained to make this prophecy the centerpiece of the climactic battle between Dumbledore's army, the Order of the Phoenix, and the Death Eaters. Because we've never heard of it before. And it, like, the Voldemort can't touch it, but Harry can touch it, but Voldemort actually can touch it, but he's just, like, not here right now. (laughs) So we, like, have to do this whole other thing. And it, like, breaks, and that doesn't end up mattering at all. And it's just, like... It feels like a little bit of an afterthought, the actual object of import. In a way that like the Sorcerer's Stone felt like really central. Yeah, except the Sorcerer's Stone doesn't end up mattering all that much. I know, but you understand why it might. Yeah. And the prophecy, doesn't somebody just have it memorized? Like Dumbledore, Dumbledore just tells Harry what the prophecy is. Yeah, that's a little that's a little weird. It'd be interesting if you could only obtain the information. Via the physical prophecy. Yes, Mm -hmm. that would be interesting. If no one could literally, like, remember it without... Because otherwise, yeah, just, like, get some backups on all these prophecies. Well, that's Uh, the crazy... (laughs) I mean, that's, like, the wizard technology thing coming into play again, where it's like, nobody wrote this down. Like, you guys don't have 
records kept in two separate places for like some of the most important information wizards uh, possess. Does Dumbledore have a copy of it? And that's how he tells Harry in the next one? No, he, just, I, I don't... he was there for it. He remembers oh. because Professor Trelawney made the prophecy to him. Oh, spoiler alert. Weirdly, Sybil Trelawney is an actual seer like twice. Um, well, yeah, that's why Dumbledore keeps her around. No, I know. Because occasionally she says like, Hella important stuff. She still shouldn't be teaching. <laughs> but I guess we're going to get to Just that. Just give her a, put her in like HR or something. No, or don't honestly, do that. give her like an emeritus HR is profession. Very HR is very important. Yeah, no, don't put her, don't, don't have her have a job. Just give her like an emeritus seat and she can just like chill. Teach a lecture every now and then. Exactly. I do like that it wasn't a weapon. I think it's cool that Voldemort just like needed information Next week's chapters are literally called The Lost Prophecy, so we can talk more about the prophecy then, but... Point being, it just... The fact that it breaks, like, three quarters of the way through, and everybody's like, ooh, and that's it, is just kind of like, okay, was this thing that important then? Like, what the <laughs> hell is going on? Let's talk about the Death Eaters a little bit. What kind of prophecy? Repeated Bellatrix, the grin fading from her face. You jest, Harry Potter. Nope. Not jesting, said Harry, his eyes flicking from Death Eater to Death Eater, looking for a weak link, a space through which they could escape. How come Voldemort wants it? Several of the Death Eaters let out low hisses. You dare speak his name? whispered Bellatrix. Yeah, said Harry, maintaining his tight grip on the glass ball, expecting another attempt to bewitch it from him. Yeah, I've got no problem saying Vol. Shut your mouth! Bellatrix shrieked. You dare speak his name with your unworthy lips. You dare besmirch it with your half-blood's tongue. You dare. Did you know he's a half-blood, too? Said Harry recklessly. Hermione gave a little moan in his ear. Voldemort? Yeah. His mother was a witch, but his dad was a muggle. Or has he been telling you lot he's pure blood? I think it's really funny that Harry is able to troll them so easily. They're basically really easily triggered. Harry says the word Voldemort, and they're like, oh, no, don't say Voldemort. Like, how dare you? Oh, no. And then Harry's like, Voldemort, Voldemort, Voldemort. They're like the knights who say knee or whatever. And then he's like, yeah, and he was a half-blood. And they're like, oh, no, no, how dare you? No. And he, like, he eats up, like, a full 20 minutes just, like, triggering the Death Eaters, who are supposed to be, like, I don't know, they're, like, right-wingers that are, like, supposed to be, like, super hard, and they're like, yeah, fuck your feelings, like political correctness is terrible and then like somebody like kneels at a football game and they're like america's dying <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is kind of what it feels I, like I mean, it's, an, an it's analog just like to who's that. the snowflakes now bitch yeah uh so harry's got the snow globe and making snowflakes of them all ha ha uh, very good. i don't know that's a little strained but you know what i mean Another thing that's really funny about kind of like Death Eater culture in this scene that I honestly find utterly inexplicable is they're using all these random curses. Like when clearly they're willing to kill all these children, like except Harry while he has the prophecy. But their use of Avada Kedavra is like utterly random. They're just like, what if I just used the like the tap dancing curse a bunch? And it's like, what? Just kill them! Like, if you're... Because they, they do it occasionally. They'll get, like, really frustrated. Like, they'll be like, oh, like, stunning spell. Oh, like, weird lightning spell. Like, ah, fuck, killing curse. And it's like, why didn't you just do that from the get-go? Like, why do you need all these other curses? You guys are so weird. Maybe it's hard. 
You gotta mean it, right? Maybe it's like a power meter thing. You gotta like build it back up a little. But they don't seem to use it with any strategy. Like I would understand if they were like, okay, only use a vada kedavra in cases where like your own life is in danger, or like you gotta like save one of your men, or like you really think that this person should die in this moment for some like fucking strategic reason. But it seems like they're just like, oh, tentacula, oh, never mind, kill you. And it, I mean, it's I like, guess get it together, you guys. We're running into they're like basically Star Wars stormtroopers or like bond henchmen, right? They've got bad aim and they trip on things. They're it's idiots. Kind of, it's like the classic trope, you know. It's true. Or like when the gang of like ninjas each comes out like one at a time to take on like the hero. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> instead not of like all quite together. like that. Like they are, they're like doing some fucking damage. Like these kids are like pretty beat up by the end of it. But mostly, but I'm they're just not like, dead. Well, which is shocking. But mostly, I'm just like, what? Like you guys do the killing curse utterly at random, and I'm just not sure that you have come up with like any kind of playbook for how this battle should go down. Also, you're fighting kids, literal children. So A, possibly you're on the wrong side of this conflict and maybe you need to do a little bit of soul searching. But B, if you're like great sort of like evil dictator leader, his main kind of hang up is literally a pack of meddling kids. Maybe he's not actually particularly powerful. Yeah, get a new. Like, he keeps <laughs> getting thwarted Lord. by like young teenagers. <laughs> so yeah, find a new Lovo, you guys, because this guy sucks. He keeps getting totally foiled by babies. They're not babies, but they're not grown. And it's crazy because Harry, Ron, Hermione, Luna, Neville are pretty suitable dueling foes for these death eaters like they're fucking holding their own they're all using the same curses with the exception of the killing curse like they don't the death eaters don't seem to know way more curses than harry harry uses expelliarmus a couple of times too many but other than that i guess he actually uses way more spells than normal in these chapters well, he's, he's like been using, fucking practicing i know uh he uh he dips a little deeper into the playbook exactly um, so they're they're like not super good at magic because these kids are like fucking them up a little I mean, bit. Half of them have been in like Azkaban for a few years. They just like right? need to like they're just, brush like, up. Kind of emaciated, probably. They're like malnourished. But still, they're supposed to be. I mean, first of all, they're grown ass adults. Right. Like you guys should be a little bit more powerful, perhaps, than these children. I mean, whatever. It's the it's the it's the bumbling henchman problem. It's the stormtrooper problem. It utterly is. So in this battle. So much shit goes down. First of all, I know this isn't sort of the point, but this is actually something that always bothers me about like superhero movies. It's just like, y'all have destroyed an enormous amount of property. <laughs> like you've basically fucked up the wizarding like Area 51. Yeah, I hope nothing important was in those prophecies. A lot of important <laughs> shit was probably in those prophecies. Clearly the ministry doesn't sort of keep duplicate records. It's like if you got into a fight in the National Archives and like blew up the Constitution or something like that. I mean, kind of. Yeah. It's just like the ministry should probably like sue. It's like, now we know nothing about the Homestead Act anymore because <laughs> <laughs> we've destroyed like... What the fuck is the Homestead Act? I was passed under Lincoln, I think, in like 1862 to give like you could go settle on um, 
land in the uninhabited West. Uh, quote. Quote, yeah. Unquote, uninhabited. And if you, like, farmed it for a certain amount of time, I think you received title to it. Anyway, I don't know. My grandmother's really into genealogy, and I think there was, like, some fire that destroyed one of the censuses. I forget which census. And this was always, like, her fucking bane was this fire that... Yeah, your grandma's weird. Yeah, but, you know, that's a... That's a hashtag genealogist problem. It's bane for a lot of historians, you know. So, like, yeah, wizard historians are getting fucked by the fact that every prophet, like, half the prophecies get, like, smashed. As, like, a diversionary tactic for, like, five (laughs) minutes of this, like, single conflict. I mean, what else were they going to do, though? No, I know. I mean, it's not that they do the wrong thing. It's just that, like, if you think about this in a larger context, you're like, well, fuck. You guys have, like, seriously compromised, like, ministry security. Also, maybe don't store glass orbs on creaky wooden shelves. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, we really got to, uh, ar- archival practices. Not great. Yeah, and again, no backups of any sort. <laughs> um, because they don't have any technology. But they, you know what they do have the technology to do? Write that shit down. This chapter also is another tour through the, like, house of horrors that is the Department of Mysteries. Like, a guy falls into the bell jar with the hatching bird, and his head gets turned into a baby head. Yeah. I don't don't know what else to say other than this is, like, kind of a horrifying scene. It's wild. He's a grown man. buck wild. With the head of a baby. And then at one point, Harry is about to, like, fuck his shit up. And Hermione's like, you can't kill a baby. (laughs) And Harry's like, what? Like, what? It's the baby Hitler problem. He's like, that baby grows up to be a Death Eater. Uh, Yeah. Is he innocent? No, he's also just a baby head. That's true. He's got the body of a Death Eater, but the head of a baby. It's, it's... Like a truly horrifying image. Uh, and, and he's just running like, around. Does he get fixed at some point? I or is he just no like. I have no idea. I think he sort of just vanishes from prob- this whole. Probably set. has to go to the closed ward. That is true. Um, uh, and St. Mungo's. Ron is kind of useless. Like, Ron gets taken out really early with, again, like Cannabis Totalis. Like, why is he just high? What has Ron contributed in this book? Very, very, very excruciatingly little. He won the Quidditch Cup somehow. Which doesn't super matter which in the context of this war. Undermines Harry winning the Quidditch Cup in his third year. It Clearly totally it does. wasn't that hard. Yeah, it utterly does. Yeah. Like Ron, Ginny, Ron, and a bunch of scrubs win the Quidditch World Cup. Ron not is World a Cup, scrub. Ginny. The regular cup. The Quidditch Cup of Hogwarts. Ron contributes very little he does. in this book. Poor guy. He is mostly an obstacle <laughs> to like Harry's success. <laughs> the the fucking ladies on the other hand like fight really hard and I mean okay this is something that's just like this is something I think about a lot. These women they're not even women. These young women these girls have a ridiculous pain tolerance. Ginny is like walking around on a broken ankle. Hermione is not dead despite the fact that she's been like sort of magic fired in half. Luna gets super knocked out. I mean, whatever. She is kind of out of commission. But overall, like, these girls get really messed up in this scene. And it is just overall across the board. It is a wonder that none of them die. It is ridiculous that none of them die. But again, you're right. It's this like action trope of like their near misses just feel increasingly mountingly unlikely. But, you know, it's like that thing in action movies where somebody gets into like a really fucked up car accident and then they just climb out of the car and start running. <laughs> and I like I have so much trouble watching those movies because I'm like, bitch, you dead. 
Like, you just got into a fatal accident. I hate to break it to you. And that's kind of how these scenes feel. And I get that that's not JK's fault. That's just like how action sequences sort of function. And there is a fantasy element to them. So whatever, it's a fantasy book. But suffice it to say, these are insane injuries. Neville gets like such a high Neville body count. Um, He gets crucioed by Bellatrix. Ouch. Which is messed up, especially because first she's like, oh, Neville, I knew your parents. Let's see how long it takes you to get like them. Like, Crucio, bitch. Very, very, very mean. (laughs) Mean is even the wrong word for it. But anyway. You'd think in all of this ruckus that the ministry folks would arrive even sooner than they do? Are there no alarms? There's also no staff. There's no, like, night janitor they just close up shop at the ministry of magic it'd be like yeah the pentagon they just like james mattis like just locks the door at the end of the night and yeah we we, we head out at about 5 30 (laughs) here like we all have to go to happy hour (laughs) like no have somebody like you should have a 24-hour staffed Um, high security perhaps there's some reason for this that i forgot that dumbledore will explain to us in the next Two Ugh, chapters. Because but. Dumbledore is about to just be like, oh, by the way, here's everything. Yeah, this is what happened in this book. Yep. It's basically, Dumbledore is just like the spark notes at the end of every book. <laughs> so, taking a little turn of tone. Sirius dies. Yes, after oh, a lot shit. of near misses. Yeah, there is a death. There's a death. It is irritatingly, like, technicality. He doesn't even get a vodka Kedavred. Well, it just says a jet of light. It doesn't say what kind. It would say a jet of green light. She I, always I says so. a jet of well, green light. He misses a jet of red light, and then and it then says she sends another... another jet. Okay. No, she stuns him, and he falls. In the movie, he gets hit with a vada kedavra. Which makes more sense. In this, he just falls through the, like, death arch, which we don't even, like, we never really understand what that thing is. It seemed to take Sirius an age to fall. His body curved in a graceful arc as he sank backward through the ragged veil hanging from the arch. And Harry saw the look of mingled fear and surprise on his godfather's wasted, once handsome face as he fell through the ancient doorway and disappeared behind the veil, which fluttered for a moment as though in a high wind, and then fell back into place. Harry heard Bellatrix Lestrange's triumphant scream, but knew it meant nothing, Sirius had only just fallen through the archway. He would reappear from the other side any second. But Sirius did not reappear. Sirius! Harry yelled. Sirius! He had reached the floor, his breath coming in searing gasps. Sirius must be just behind the curtain. He, Harry, would pull him back out again. But as he reached the ground and sprinted towards the dais, Lupin grabbed Harry around the chest, holding him back. There's nothing you can do, Harry. Get him! Save him! He's only just gone through! It's too late, Harry. We can still reach him! Harry struggled hard and viciously, but Lupin would not let go. There's nothing you can do, Harry. Nothing. He's gone. It's death, right? Yeah, but like, there's not... Like... How and why and where and what does it do and what is the fucking mechanism here? It's wild. How did they get this thing? Also, why is this thing just lying around? Did they build it? I. I it seems ancient, so it seems like maybe ancient wizards had constructed this thing, and it's now being held 
Ark of the Covenant like in the fucking archives. Okay, so many questions. Who moved it? How do you pick up the other realm and like put it in this building? Did they build the entire Ministry of Magic around this thing? That's possible. If it's like an ancient like Stonehenge situation. That would actually make more sense than that they like somehow like archaeologically dug it up and like managed to move death. Like how did it get here? How has nobody ever sort of just fallen through it? Like, again, there's no sort of, like, janitor that's like, whoa, 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 and he's just fucking dead. Like, this is not safe. Nothing is safe. It seems kind of, it's sort of creepy. Like, what, yeah, what use did this archway have? Because it's on this raised platform in what seems to be kind of like an amphitheater. Maybe Were there, like, rituals? Did they shove people through this thing? That actually is the most interesting explanation. Maybe this is, maybe the Ministry of Magic was built up around this, like, ancient ground for, like, executions, basically. Yeah, there's, maybe they, maybe they, maybe they made sacrifices. Maybe they ritually... There's probably a Pottermore on this. I guess tell us if there is, but I'm not super interested. I'd rather just think about it. <laughs> um, as is usually the case in these books, because also you shouldn't need outside instructions in order to interpret a text. Well, its mysteriousness is sort of what's interesting about it. It so, is, you know, but it's also it would just, almost ruin it to go read like it would ruin the wiki it. about it. It would ruin it, but it also it's, it's fun it's to just speculate. Like, it's a really irritating way for a main character to die. Why? Why is that? Because it's it's a totally random. We don't know what it is or why it is or how it works, and he's just like, oh, he's gone. And we never understand why, and I don't know, it just feels, maybe it's interesting because it is so mysterious, and it is just this, like, kind of fundamental, like, you were on one side or the other. Maybe I'm talking myself out of it being annoying. It annoys me in the scene, but when I think about it a little more. Well, I mean, her death is, like, her main preoccupation in all seven books. So And how people react to death, and uh, the choices they make revolving around the fact of death. Yeah. You know, how do you deal with that fact is kind of the central question. So I guess the idea that death isn't really anything other than moving through a doorway is like a little obvious, but maybe interesting. That might be an interesting way for Sirius to die. And it's sort of, I guess, okay, I'm talking myself out of this because it's interesting that it's not violent. Right. Like he doesn't get... He doesn't even get a Vada Kedavra, which I think counts as violence in these books. He just sort of passes over. He has a very peaceful death, all things considered. Well, that's why I picked the op- the passage from Shakespeare to open the episode. The undiscovered... I like the phrase, the undiscovered country. Well, and especially because there's this sense in it that Harry is like, he can just come back. He, a- all he did was pass... But that's true of... Even if the death isn't... Wow, I've completely changed my <laughs> mind. That's that's what this podcast is all about. So, because what's interesting is like even so, it's this like physical embodiment of the fact that death is sort of random and not real, but also utterly inexorable. Like, there's no reason Sirius can't come back except that he can't come back. Right. Okay, never mind. I like this a lot. <laughs> you went on a voyage of meaning and discovery i did you know yeah what's the point of doing this if we're not gonna like learn things about how we think about literature but i do want to talk about how we feel about the fact that sirius dies how do you feel about the fact that sirius dies you know i was so prepared for it because we've you know obviously i've read the books before and we've been discussing all of the foreshadowing for weeks now so 
it didn't hit me that hard. I guess Harry's grief is what hits me hard about these scenes. You know, Harry, Sirius has always felt like marked, but it feels really hard to give Harry, like, to restore, like, a parent to him and then have it ripped away again. I mean, that's rough, but that, like, we've also discussed this. That's kind of like, these books are also very much about, like, losing when you can't lose, like, anymore. Well, and these are the fires that forage Harry Mm -hmm. in a very fundamental way. We wouldn't have Harry Potter, the chosen one, the sort of ultimate sacrifice, the, the, the great boy who lived without the story of his loss. They're very entwined. Like, the fact of his losses and the fact of his sort of, like, ultimate greatness, that is all so connected and so kind of, like, wound up together. I do have this this really intense memory of the first time I read this book just sobbing about Sirius's death. So I, I, I remember the experience of thinking that this was the saddest thing that happened in these books. I have really changed my tune. As you guys have been hearing throughout this book, I'm actually, like, not a fan of Sirius. Yeah, but that doesn't mean he deserves to die. He doesn't deserve to die. But I think other deaths are sadder. Like, Cedric is sadder to me. Cedric is also clearly sadder to J.K. Rowling because she makes that this sort of central reality of Cursed Child. Because Cedric is totally innocent and Sirius isn't. Oh, I guess not. Like, Sirius has sort of been on a route toward this kind of showdown by his choices. The other thing that's hard for me, and, like, this is something I've been thinking about a lot in, like, a lot of other contexts, but, like, so do we owe it to the people who love and need us to, to like, self-preserve? Because Sirius doesn't actually do a ton to avoid this fate. Like, he walks pretty directly into it, and you can tell throughout this book that he's got, like, at least partly a death wish. Sirius doesn't do a ton to keep himself safe, to keep himself well, to keep himself from being destroyed. And he's pretty self-destructive. And there's this question for me of, like, does he, knowing that he's Harry's lifeline, does he owe it to Harry to try harder to stay alive? I think so. Yeah, I think Sirius's decisions ultimately end up being kind of devastatingly cruel to Harry because he doesn't try. He dies literally because he is mocking Bellatrix. Like, he could have dodged the spell, except he's too busy making fun of her. And it's so important to him to, like, maintain this image of, like, not giving a fuck in any situation that he dies for it. Like, that's why she manages to kill him. He dies with sort of a smirk on his face because he's just, like, done a sick burn. Yeah, I mean, it's tragic. But it's kind of despicable. I mean, he is there to rescue Harry. Yeah, but not in a way that's, like... But he's also been jonesing for action. He has. And nobody else, like, dies because they can't fucking help, like, just being rude all the time. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the other ones want to live through this. And Sirius doesn't. And Sirius breaks Harry open by not keeping himself alive. And he doesn't try very hard. Right. I guess it's the pattern of behavior, I guess. It is the pattern he's, of behavior. He's put himself he in these situations so many right times. into these things. Yeah. Really deliberately. In a way that feels 
it might not be sort of like active like suicide by death eater but he clearly doesn't care either way how this turns out for him and he cares about harry but he ultimately makes a decision that shows the least possible care for harry well then harry feels compelled to run after a death eater right to he almost av- kills harry avenge sirius's death because sirius can't just he is not emotionally present or mature enough to be all the way there for Harry. Because being all the way there for Harry would mean not wanting to die. Yeah, I mean... And I mean, this is such a complicated Sirius thing. is tough because he suffered so much. He was right. in Azkaban for... But you know what? 12 years. It's like the kind of ultimate question. And I don't want to get all the way into this because it's like really complicated and people have the experiences they have. But like, do you owe it to the people that love you to like figure out how to stay alive? think I would come down on the yes side of that. I mean, obviously not like if you're dying of something that you're dying of. Like everybody dies. But, you know, is this selfish? I don't think Sirius dies 100% on purpose. I'm not no. saying that. But I don't think he does a ton to prevent his own death. And if he doesn't need to prevent it for himself, he needs to prevent it for Harry. Right. So... You guys probably have other ideas about this, and um, we'd like to hear them. Absolutely. Speaking of the Black family, let's talk about Bellatrix. Come out, come out, little laddie, she called in her mock baby voice, which echoed off the polished wooden floors. What did you come after me for, then? I thought you were here to avenge my dear cousin. I am, shouted Harry, and a score of ghostly Harrys seemed to chorus... I am, I am, I am, all around the room. Ah, did you love him, little baby Potter? Hatred rose in Harry such as he had never known before. He flung himself out from behind the fountain and bellowed, Crucio! Bellatrix screamed. The spell had knocked her off her feet, but she did not writhe and shriek with pain as Neville had. She was already on her feet again, breathless, no longer laughing. Harry dodged behind the golden fountain again. Her counterspell hit the head of the handsome wizard, which was blown off and landed twenty feet away, gouging long scratches into the wooden floor. Never used an unforgivable curse before, have you, boy? She yelled. She had abandoned her baby voice now. You need to mean them, Potter. You need to really want to cause pain, to enjoy it. Righteous anger won't hurt me for long. I'll show you how it is done, shall I? I'll give you a lesson. Harry had been edging around the fountain on the other side. She screamed, Crucio! Yeah, a lot came up for me with Bellatrix. This has sort of been a theme that we've been exploring with Umbridge, but does J.K. Rowling hate women? (laughs) I think there's... I mean, no. I know. Obviously. That's like a, that's a 30 watt question also. Um, just <laughs> what's, was, what's the episode titled? I think it's, I don't remember, but there's like a blog post that comes out on like a Jezebel-esque site that's like, does Liz Lemon hate women? But it's, it's actually kind of comparable to J.K. Rowling because she's this sort of like outspoken, kind of blustering feminist who when you actually look at the way she portrays women, like girl, it's a lot more complicated than that. So, I guess the reason we might ask that question is because so many of her 
like her most loathsome characters are almost entirely women. Draco's pretty bad, but well, no, Draco's redeemed. Right, Snape's but, redeemed. Most of her really, most of the men that I think their behavior is irredeemable get a redemption arc. So we have we have we have this kind of trifecta of the of Umbridge, Rita Skeeter, and now Bellatrix Lestrange. And they're not the same level of evil, obviously, but they are the characters that J.K. Rowling very clearly uniquely despises. And we are meant to really despise. Also, all the, I mean, and this is kind of a, a complicated fact because the men, other than Lovo himself, are actually pretty interchangeable. Like, who the fuck knows which Death Eater is which? Lucius Malfoy is, like, kind of important, but he's just, like, sort of old Draco. <laughs> and these women are written really singularly. And so she definitely has, like, a powerful touch with, like, making the female villains very rounded out. Yeah, I mean, her female villains are better. They're like, much better Voldemort written. is pretty one-dimensional. Yeah, except he's so his, his death stuff is kind of interesting. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, he could just be... You could, like, slot in any fantasy arch-villain there. Yeah. So, obviously, she doesn't hate women. And that was, like, a provocative and stupid question. But, I will say, a thing about her female villains is that they are all really driven, incredibly ambitious, and not conventionally feminine in a lot of the ways that, societally, we define femininity. I guess, technically, Bellatrix is married but like she's not in like a marriage that sort of the, the kind of marriage that like defines like good womanhood. None of them are mothers. They're all sort of alone in the world and, and embittered and really uniquely cruel and bad. Although, I mean, you guys know in my heart, Rita Skeeter is like a hardcore antihero, but J.K. Rowling hates her, like thinks that she's the worst. Seems to, yeah. But that sort of comes out of her complicated feelings for the press. I know, but she makes her a woman, despite the fact that women have way less power in media than men. That's true. Like, it's it's definitely notable that she's a female reporter. Being a female reporter is very fucking hard, you guys. And the fact that she decides to make her a woman is significant. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Women have way, way, way less of a voice in media than men. You all know that. <laughs> so... The exact, like, counterpoint to these villains is is Lily, who is kind of the North Star of morality in this book, but is also the perfect mother. And she, like, fixes a problematic man. Exactly. A, she does all the labor for James's redemption. And B, like, she is pretty solely and singularly defined by her motherhood and the selflessness of her motherhood. And these women are not selfless. And I feel like the message is that that selflessness is among the most important values of womanhood. Because Mrs. Weasley is also selfless. Right. You know? And like, she's and these other... are These are women who wouldn't die for other people, which I don't actually think is a bad quality. Molly what? Weasley would die for her children. Bellatrix Lestrange would die for Voldemort. Yeah, but like, he's Voldemort. Like, that's not a good person to die for that's true she wouldn't die for like her husband she wouldn't die for anybody she's like a cult member basically that's different um maybe it's not different maybe i'm full of it but i do think that like she really buys into kind of like pretty sexist ideas of like the necessity of female selflessness because our female villains are all really selfish so does this affect your enjoyment of the books i guess is the i'm having 
a lot of trouble with J.K. Rowling's depiction of women this time around. I'm actually like getting more and more troubled by it. Because like, okay, the example that we have, we talked about earlier when we were planning was Narcissa Malfoy, who does get a redemption narrative, but her redemption is only through the selflessness of motherhood. Like she, in and of herself, like the only reason she turns out to be kind of quote unquote good, which like I have questions about anyway, because she's not, not on the side of evil. She's just like more dedicated to her child than anything else. But if it was just her in the world... Her we evil have child. Her evil fucking child. <laughs> she wants to protect her evil kid. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm just doing a lot of thinking about women in these books this time around. And I think, I think because of Hermione, J.K. Rowling just sort of gets lumped into the like strong female characters category. But her, her female characters are very, there are very complicated and... I think often pretty negative messages about what it means to be a woman. They are strong. They're strong. Are they like strong for the right reasons? Are they good? I mean, are they, are they? No, I think they're kind of sexist a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, but I don't think that mean, I don't know. Does that mean she's sexist? I. She's or got does it mean no. she's internalized sexist? messages in our culture well, and I mean, then that's transmitted the thing. them no female the se- female misogyny is yeah. internalized misogyny right. and i know that and wielding your internalized misogyny against you know the the women you create as a creator in an unexamined way is sexist it's not her fault that we live in the patriarchy but lots of authors do better examination of what their internalized misogyny sort of says to them. You know, though, the two main women baddies are working in the service of a war- kind of a worse man, though. Well... Like Bellatrix and Umbridge. Rita's kind of a freelancer. She's, a, <laughs> she's, she's a out for agent. herself. And like I which said, makes her awesome, kind of. I don't uh, fucking <laughs> consider Rita Skeeter a villain. Yeah. That's that's probably the... That might end up being the, the hottest quibbler take there is. But, you know... Fuck Sirius and Dumbledore and long live Rita Skeeter. Bellatrix, Bellatrix and Umbridge are trying to find ways to survive in deeply patriarchal structures. I know, but right? the way like, they do that... The Death Eaters are a boys club. Well, yeah, it toxifies. It makes them worse than all the terrible men around them. Because they have... So that would be my defense of it. My devil's advocates. I think that uh, makes sense. I, I She just... She does so much of this really, really basically misogynist shit about the point of female existence being selflessness and motherhood. And that the way that you become good in the patriarchy is by buying into that shit. Even Hermione, who is really strong and extraordinary, subsumes a lot of herself into a relationship with a less good man. Yes. Spends a lot of time correcting for the idiocy of a man who a man who is an excellent friend. You guys have sent all these letters. I get it. There are redeeming qualities to Ron. He is a shitty boyfriend and a shitty husband. Long live Victor Crumb. Kind of. At least Victor Crumb cares what the fuck is going on in Hermione's brain. That's true. I think Ron is a really good person and awesome friend and he's a fuck boy he's a shitty boyfriend <laughs> lots of great male friends are really bad boyfriends harry potter and the fuck boy yeah uh, the fuck boy order bestie. of the fuck boys 
<laughs> we Harry can't Potter make that. and the Order of the Fuck Boys. That would be a really good episode title, <laughs> except we can't put that on iTunes. We could um, do F asterisk C-K-B-O-I-S. Let's talk about the boss fight. Dumbledore v. Lovo decided 5-4 in the Supreme Court in favor of Dumbledore. I don't know. Uh, Dumbledore v. Lovo. First, motherfucking Fox gets back in the game. He swallows the killing curse, and it just turns him into a baby bird. Fox is a flying cheat code. <laughs> Fox, like, saves the day in such absurd ways. Multiple that you're just, times. Like, honestly, we should write Fox out of this book. He's because... just like, chirp, chirp, motherfucker. I'm a bird. You can't destroy it. You can't defeat me. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, he's just like, he eats the killing curse, bursts into flames, and then he's just a baby bird on the ministry floor being like, Fuck off, Voldemort. What are you going to do about it? Chickory, chickory. <laughs> it's not what birds say. That is what birds say. It's not what There's Fox a says. Bird out there. That might be what he says. It says he's croaking on the floor. Chickory, chickory, chickory. Because he's a baby bird, which baby birds are disgusting looking. Also, they're. They look like little dinosaurs. They, they look like the baby raptor in Jurassic Park. They do, but they don't have low croaks. They're like the chirpiest. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, I don't know. It's a phoenix. Who knows what the fuck they do that's I'm not a magical ornithologist <laughs> fox like the marauders map and the invisibility cloak just bring fox everywhere do you have a problem fox will solve it <laughs> he, he can fly you places he can eat death he's the actual death eater <laughs> all these uh, fox is like oh you guys call yourselves death eaters watch, watch me this. literally eat death bitches yeah that's absolutely real. Fox is the real Death Eater. These guys are just posers. Anyway. <laughs> this is this is the high watermark of Dumbledore awesomeness. It's a little extra. He's like using the Statue of Magical Brethren as his Lego action figure set basically to like fight Voldemort. I actually uh, really like that. I think that's fucking cool. Especially, like, the one that's, like, headless and just running around. <laughs> I think that's sick. You know, it's pretty neat. We're like, oh, man, Dumbledore's amazing. Uh, and structurally, I like it as a contrast with the end of the next book, which I think we all we all know what happens at the end of the next book. It is really shocking to have his death come so soon after him sort of, like, mounting to like the highest levels of Dumbledore power Mm -hmm. he like really 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 like has I mean yeah he has this sort of like epic showdown and then it's like totally surprising that he can die yeah but we have a while to go before that yes uh we do it's very funny that so so Harry and Bellatrix are having this like insult war insult war yeah and i forget what harry's like you guys you're just doing like voldemort's bidding or whatever like why doesn't he come here himself yeah and she's like uh don't be a fucking idiot voldemort would never just come into the ministry of magic and like take the prophecy off the shelf and then immediately voldemort shows up in the ministry of magic he's like i'm here yeah Uh, guys i i showed up i could have done this the whole time yeah, just get the fucking prophecy. Anyway, instantly proven wrong. Uh, why does Voldemort show up? I guess he, like, they hit the bat signal or whatever and sent, like, a distress call. Yeah, they're getting, like, owned by, like, 
children. <laughs> and they're like, ah, oh, shit. Yeah, we weren't up to this, buddy. I'm sorry. He should torture all of them since that's his MO because they have fucked this up. I think he up. probably does. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he does, in fact. Uh, so Voldemort shows up Lovo style. They have, I mean, it's like another one of the interesting Dumbledore versus Lovo kind of like philosophical debates. They have this whole like, is there anything worse than death conversation? That's to me is the most interesting aspect of Lovo when he's not being just kind of cartoonishly fantasy villainous. Yeah, his it is interesting to have his fatal flaw be his inability to see past death as like the worst possible thing that can happen to you. And his inability to see that like being willing to die for something is a way of being like brave and strong and powerful. Because, like, Dumbledore is willing to die for this shit. He shows us that very soon. Right. Voldemort is just completely selfish. And in some ways that actually, like, makes you... Like, that makes Dumbledore less fearful. Because Dumbledore is like, ugh, I mean, honestly, the worst thing that's going to happen is somebody who's going to evade a cadaver me. And then, like, kind of, like, that sucks, but fine. And Voldemort, meanwhile, is so obsessed with avoiding that fate that he just, like, fucks everything up. But he does... He does kind of do this weird counterpoint to Dumbledore where he takes over Harry's body and he's like, if death's not so bad, kill me. Of course, Dumbledore maybe at this point knows that Voldemort can't just be killed We, I easily. think he does. Yeah. He knows that he can't. And he knows that killing Dumbledore... But he has to figure or, out the Horcruxes in the next book because he's, he's not quite figured that out No, yet. but he, started to, he right. started to realize that Voldemort has done something to make himself unkillable. Right. He has, like, gotten that far. And he's, like, sort of starting to work out the Horcrux thing, like, now. Yeah. Um, All right. Because by the time the next school year starts, he's, like, pretty deep into the the kind of Horcrux hunt. So what happens when Voldemort takes over Harry's body? It's, like, not that clear. It's sort of, it's confusing. It's, it's a little confusing. all confusing. He's, like, torturing him from inside. Right. And then Does like, it just the, hurt to be taken over by Voldemort? No, or? I think he's, like, doing torture. Okay. Ugh. Um, from inside Harry's brain, which is, like, a pretty crazy power. He's very powerful, to be fair. Yeah, you know. They're both pretty powerful. It's, like, I, it's, like, cool, like, this is a good message, but the thing that, like, the power of love, like, saves Harry again, it's, Is like, that what it does? Is that what drives Voldemort off? Yeah, he, he begins to have, like, an emotional reaction to the idea of seeing Sirius again. And Voldemort, it's, like grip is loosened by the fact that harry like loves someone um oh, all right okay I mean, okay all right yeah, like, yeah. We've, we've just like it's like a nice like it's kind of her like central message but it's also again it's like so many of these plot elements are recycled it's like, been bailed out by love a lot a lot of times it's like we get it love, love. is very strong yeah and the only thing even half as strong as a fucking bird. <laughs> Love and birds. A bird that loves you. A bird that loves you is the strongest thing, thing on earth. <laughs> Get you a bird that loves the shit out of you and you'll be fine. Yeah, you, nothing bad will ever happen to you. All right, so Voldemort gets banished by like feelings or whatever and then disapparates from the Ministry of Magic with Bellatrix at the moment when most of the ministry 
finally arrives because I guess they got like a wizard nine one one call or whatever that's like, well, hey, someone them? is rampaging through the capital. I wonder who uh, that was. <laughs> I have no idea. You guys are a little late, guys. How? Yeah, they show up way late. This has been going on for like hours. Yeah. Uh, emergency response times in the wizarding world low. Yeah, well, or, shocking, yeah. because Long, they not have low. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very emer- poor response time. I mean, they have only absurd means of travel. Get some so. fucking telephones. <laughs> you know? I, Somebody I mean, had just to, like, like, climb into a fire to tell you what was going figure on. Figure out how to work this. Um. Anyway, so Fudge is there. He is flummoxed. He sees Voldemort with his own eyes. So finally, he's like, oh, my God. There's, like, a deep snake conspiracy. I'm not... You don't like that pun? I mean, it's good, but I'm just, like, not gonna reward you. The deep snake. <laughs> uh, okay, Against my government. Um, and then Dumbledore starts basically ordering him around and then makes an illegal portkey right in front of him. Is this a soft coup? I mean, basically. I mean, Fudge was, like, sort of right. Dumbledore's basically, like... I rule the government. I am the government now. Yeah, I mean, not really. He doesn't really do that. Kind of. But he's he kind like, of briefly. This is what you're going to do. <laughs> Fudge becomes like a puppet government. I guess he doesn't tell him that he has to. Yes, he does. He just says, you will. It's just the same. I, is he using like a Jedi mind trick? No, he's just saying like, this is the plan now. I'm in charge. And Fudge, who's just been like. Well, Fudge just had his mind blown and he's like, okay, well, yeah, I. I messed up. His weakness of character. He yep. can't make decisions in these, like, actual crisis moments. Yeah, he's a really bad, like, leader. He's the James Buchanan of the Wizarding World. I do not get that, but thank you. For those who do, I'm sure that was very funny. He's the feckless president right before Lincoln, who, like, oh, proceeds over the oh, Union I did falling know that. apart. I did know that. Yeah, yeah, he is the James Buchanan. A little bit. We've also compared him to Andrew Johnson, so basically just the Lincoln bookends. <laughs> Anyone who's not Lincoln, Cornelius Fudge. Uh, he's a, he's being a little James Buchanan-y here. Uh, he let all those death he let the Death Eaters um, fucking seize various military forts in South Carolina. He did, except indeed. for Fort Sumter. Anyway, yeah, Dumbledore's like, I'll give you thirty minutes of my time, but we got to send Harry back to school. Fudge still seems pissed at Harry. Yeah, he does. Fudge just hates Harry. Poor Harry. Another end of the school year. Ugh. It's, everything's such a mess. He's like, we gotta send you back to school, man. Just, yeah, ev- the last two school years. Such a disaster. Man, finals week has been rough each time. <laughs> um, Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Williamson. This wizard in, like, a scarlet cloak with a ponytail who sees Voldemort and is like, holy shit, it's Lovo, minister, are you seeing this? Dude, calling it like it is. That's Lovo in the fucking ministry. When the king is a liar, the truth becomes treason. And he had the guts to to say that's Lovo. Indeed he did. So, all right, also it's funny, just this random fucking guy named Williamson shows up and it's like, whoa, mind blown. Mine is Remus Lupin who mine is actually a more serious unsung hero because Lupin is also experiencing like one of the most painful moments of his life when he watches Sirius die and he still is the only fucking grown-up with the wherewithal to be like Harry it's gonna be okay like 
here. Let Please me, don't run through the death door. Yeah, let me, like, do something for you, like, a, a fucking adult with responsibility and, like, a brain. Lupin's incredible. Lupin is so brave and so kind, and he's the best person in the books. Or, like, up, up there. there. Mm-hmm. Ugh. We should get to keep Lupin. Lupin's unfair. It is fucked up that Lupin, Lupin is dies. unfair. Um, uh. I mean, to be fair, like, we... It's only at the very end that we lose him, but still, that's just not okay. No. So yeah, long live Remus. This week's episode is brought to you by the Ministry of Magic. We know how important trust is at the Ministry of Magic, but then we lost it. We had to deal with educational decrees, fake news, orrors attacking gamekeepers, dementors, but we promise you that all ends now. The Ministry of Magic, established 1707, re-established 1996. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. That way you will know when it actually does get released. Um, We're sorry again for the forced hiatus. Yeah, I mean, we do this by ourselves, so we don't have a producer. Yeah, I I mean, I don't want to be defensive because you guys are incredibly understanding, but I do want to give a little context of like, this is just us like this is literally Alex and Heather doing every piece of the work it takes to put this podcast out and sometimes and we both have very full-time jobs and honestly like sometimes it's really not possible and we're sorry and we appreciate your being like super thanks for sticking with the quibbler yeah we We know you have a choice of Harry Potter podcasts and you you can choose multiple ones also there's other great ones but (laughs) Anyway, I'm sorry that that happens occasionally. We try really hard to prevent it, but also we are not paid and we do this work, just the two of us. If we had a magic bird. Everything would be fine. If anybody wants to send us a phoenix, I promise you we will make (laughs) this podcast more regularly. Um, Whatever. We make it pretty fucking regularly. We're 62 episodes in. Damn. Um, Also, we had no idea that it would get anywhere near where it is so honestly it's amazing that we're here sorry if that sounded super defensive but I do want to kind of let people know like this is a lot of work and we um we do it because we love it but thank you for not banging down our doors when sometimes we need to take a little break please send us emails we have been reading all your emails on our on our little break um and we're gonna do a mailbag soon so quibblerpodcast at gmail.com you can also direct message us we're on facebook twitter and instagram at quibblerpodcast just like find us where you find things and next week y'all we are wrapping this shit up we are reading the lost prophecy and the second war begins which are the last two chapters of harry potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Wow. Thanks, amigos. Double door, said Neville, his sweaty face suddenly transported, staring over Harry's shoulder. What? Double door. My empty hands stung. I'm sorry, Edward, I whispered. Be quiet said Voldemort dangerously. I shall deal with you in a moment. He ran.
He could hear a lift clattering ahead of him. He sprinted up the passageway, swung around the corner, and slammed his fist onto the button to call a second lift. It jangled and banged lower and lower. The grills slid open, and Harry dashed inside, now hammering the button-marked atrium. The doors slid shut, and he was rising. What? said Voldemort, staring around. And then he breathed. Dumbledore. Harry looked behind him, his heart pounding. Dumbledore was standing in front of the Golden Gates. Voldemort raised his wand and sent another jet of green light at Dumbledore, who turned and was gone in a whirling of his cloak. Next second he had reappeared behind Voldemort and waved his wand toward the remnants of the fountain. Look out! Harry yelled. But even as he shouted, one more jet of green light had flown at Dumbledore from Voldemort's wand. And the snake had struck. Fork swooped down in front of Dumbledore, opened his beak wide and swallowed the jet of green light whole. He burst into flame and fell to the floor, small, wrinkled and flightless. 